women are powerful and have accomplished great things. Yet, sometimes we suffer from self-doubt, fear, and limiting beliefs. We often believe that we are not good enough. These negative beliefs stop us from achieving our goals. Welcome to Sprinting to Success, a podcast dedicated to women who have experienced struggles, yet found ways to step into their power, their greatness, and learn to embrace challenges. These women will share their stories and give you insights to help you on your path so you can follow your dreams. And now, here's your host, Esme Lawrence. My guest is the host of the Jumble Think podcast, where they focus on the stories of ideas. The passion of Jumble Think is to help people find their big ideas and dreams. Prior to Jumble Think, he owned a leading web development company where he and his team built over 450 websites. My guest today is Michael Woodward. Michael, welcome to Sprinting to Success podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing so great. I'm, I'm excited to chat with Yasmi and, uh, and have a lot of fun along through the, the episode. Oh, I am so excited too for you to be here. And thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Uh, so oh, let's find out a little bit more about you. Tell me about um, how you were as a child. Yeah. Childhood was interesting for me. I came from a, a really great family, parents that were incredible. But around that kindergarten, first grade, I, I ran into some issues. Uh, some struggles along the way. And, and the biggest one was that uh, the school that I went to was saying, oh, he's, he's not paying attention in school, all of this stuff. And they're like, let's put him on Ridlin and do all the stuff that they're doing to so many kids today. Yes. And my doctor fought it, my parents fought it. And they really sat down and said, let's do a psychological evaluation and see what's going on here. What they found is that I just didn't learn well the way that they were teaching me. So it was a journey of overcoming that obstacle as a child. You know, the normal, uh, I grew up in a suburban kind of setting. So I uh, had a lot, uh, I went to a great school. I went to, uh, had a great circle of friends. But that was one of those weird things that early on, it's impacted my life because I had to figure out how do I learn in a way that works for me? How do I work with a system that isn't set up to allow me to flourish in the ways that I understand information? And how can I set myself up for success? And the school was great, uh, really worked through that and gave me good systems to, to help me through that and and set me up for success so that's one of the earliest struggles in life that i actually remember so what are those systems that helped you back then to learn i think the first thing is that i don't test well i can have all the information and know it and know how to answer the questions but there's like this anxiety around sitting down sometimes and actually doing the test. Sometimes I'll test perfectly fine, sometimes I won't. And one of the systems I had to learn was to go back and say, hey, look, can I retake this again? Not like a day later, but like, I know that I did poorly, I just need to retake it again. Sit right back down and, and do perfectly fine or sit down with a teacher and instead of writing down all the answers, just verbally answer through the questions. And so they, they helped facilitate a safe space for me to come in and say, okay, I don't test well in this area. What's a way that we can work where I know the information, it's obvious that I know the information, how can we do it so that I can test successfully? So that's one area. Another area 
was that I love learning by interaction. One of my favorite classes in high school was a class that was supposedly beneath my level of education. And it was a, a field bi biology class. And, and instead of doing uh, academic learning in a classroom, the entire class was doing field work. So we'd go out and look at different ecosystems. We'd go out and run experiments. We'd do observation. We would wow. uh, do experiments in the class. And it wasn't supposedly an advanced class, but it was a, and, and I did find in the advanced version of it, but I found it so much more uh, of a way for me to tangibly in, engage with it because I was, I was doing the work. I wasn't just trying to consume it as data. I was actually experiencing it. And so that was another pivot for me in the learning structures to say, how can I move from kind of reading it or just digesting it and experiencing it? Because once I experience it, I understand it. Once I understand it, I can uh, really make sure that I'm versed in the information I need to learn. And so right. when I approach situations today, I use that same kind of situation to say, okay, I'm not understanding this. What can I do to move from trying to learn this from reading it in a book to actually making an experience? And how can I engage with it? So getting my hands dirty and solving the problems, if you will. Right. You know, Michael, one of the great things that, um, that you learned um, when you were little is that you know how you learn. A lot of people don't know how they learn. And so it's really good that it was pointed out to you and you're able to adapt that and move on and learn um, what you need to learn. So that's one of the good things. So if we go back to high mm -hmm. school, what were some yeah. of the struggles that you um, had in high school? Yeah, there was a couple of struggles. I, I actually had a really great school experience uh, at the high school level. Incredible. I went to a phenomenal school that, that expected you to succeed and then would resource you to succeed. So from an right. academic standpoint, it was it was great. I, I can't really complain. I, I was involved in the music programs and, and they had great music programs. So it was a lot of fun. I would say that the the challenge came from a place of saying, what do I believe and what is significant to me? It's easy to get stuck in the doing, especially in high school, because there's all kinds of things you can do, whether right. it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's uh, extracurricular activities. And there were some decisions I, I was making that weren't necessarily bad ones. Uh, but I came to a point and I said, you know, the people I'm hanging out with here aren't bad people, but they're not going to help me really be the best I can be. So getting around the right people who challenged me and pushed me to, to, not accept the status quo, but go deeper and, and expect me to expect myself to do better than what I, I was skating by on. And so pushing me to go better uh, than what I've done. And, and I think that's the biggest thing in high school for me was making those decisions. There were some things I gave up, like uh, there was one year of marching band, which I loved marching band, but I just felt like that I needed to focus in a different area. And so I didn't do my senior year of marching band. I still played in the jazz bands. I still played in the, the orchestra. I still played in the, the symphonic winds bands and all of that kind of stuff. But I stepped back and I said, I'm going to re-adjust uh, my focus right. that senior year to do something a little bit different. And, and that really helped me... Uh, uh, make some decisions for the next couple of years. I think we get so busy that we're responding often to situations instead of slowing down and making actual decisions and being proactive versus being responsive to the dilemmas, the obstacles we're facing. And so my senior right. year, slowing down and saying, you know what, I could push as hard as I've been doing, 
uh, I could keep doing what I've always done. I moved from there and just refocused my area of focus and it allowed me to make better decisions for the future. Right. So what was it um, in high school that made you want to become your best self? Like, what was it? It was a combination of things. One, uh, when it comes to the music aspect, super competitive. You know, I wanted to be the best at what I could do against everyone else. And, right. and sometimes you're not competing against other people, but you're competing against yourself. So like one year I tried out for regional band, which is like statewide kind of music program. And I did okay, but I was striving not against other people in that case, but I was striving to say, I can do better and I can control what I can do to achieve more. And so it pushed me to, to become a better version of myself in that journey of discovery. And so that's one area that was um, challenging me to become better. Another area was just by that shift of the people I was hanging out with. There were a lot of people are hanging out with that were perfectly fine people, but when you get around driven people, it forces yes. you to be driven too. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad, but getting around the right tribe or right community right. Uh, that you can actually connect with and say, these are people that understand what I'm going through. They're going to challenge me. I'm going to challenge them because I understand them. And reevaluating the kind of community that I wanted to be around, the kind of people in school and outside of school. And that was super awesome. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it sounds like I was just like, focus, 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 do, do, do. <laughs> but we had a lot of fun too, the people I was hanging out with. And, and it was that balance of finding uh, the right pace for all of us. Uh, and, and so the people around me. And then the school that I went to, like I mentioned before, they expected you to succeed. I mean, every right. year they announced how many students were going on to what kind of college and and what you know your peers were, your, your friends. You always knew who was going to what school. Right. And it wasn't like you had, to, you had to measure up to a certain measuring stick. All they asked is that you do the best that you could do and you find the thing that's right for you. So, right. so they wanted you to succeed. And, and I remember... My freshman year of high school, there was this class that every student was required to take. It was like months and months. I don't remember if it was half a year or a full year, but the class literally went through and said, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And how do you get there? Right. And so that whole philosophy of like, I want to know where I want to end up. The ahri, which is an ancient Hebrew word, which means the end result of our actions. And and when you think of the end, then you can start building a roadmap to get you there. Like if I go, hey, I want to go, go somewhere. Well, it's going to be hard to actually get there if I don't know where that somewhere is. Right. But if I go, I want to yes. get to Houston, Texas, now I can say, well, how do I get there? I could right. take a bus. I could take a car. I could exactly. take a train. And all right. So, and you can go through a process. And, and it's the same with expecting a certain result or expectation of success whatever that measure of success is for each individual, you can only get there if you know where you want to go. Now, right. that doesn't mean you have to be hard-nosed and say, if I don't achieve this goal, I'm a failure. You think of all those people, you, you were an Olympian, right? And right. not everyone's going to make the Olympics. So and true. that may be your goal, that may be your dream, and you can work hard, but if you don't have a roadmap, you're definitely not going to get there. But if right. you have a roadmap, you can do your best and hope that you can reach the goal, the dream, the, the position you want to achieve. And so 
from early on, first year, one of the first classes we took, that was the expectation. We expect you to succeed and we want to resource you so you know what success looks like for you. And right. then we're going to hold you accountable to that. And we're going to put, if you need extra help, we've got special teachers here to help you if you need that. Yeah. If, you, if you aren't getting what you need from a specific class, maybe you can move to a different class. And, and so they worked with you and they had career counselors. They had guidance counselors that wanted to be engaged in your life and really challenge you. And it's very fortunate to be in a school that was like that. Right. You know, I really think it's important that, you know, you get into an environment that expects you to win. Right. And, and because you, you'll rise up to meet the, the expectations um, of the school or, or whatever environment you're in. You know, they say you're the sum total of the five people that you hang out with. Yeah. So you hang out with good people and people who are driven and want to succeed. Then, you know, like you just, oh, it's like it's a click. And it yeah. becomes a pack and then you, you rise together and you succeed together and to, to have a school that um, expects you to win. I mean, you can't fail. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I, I want to step back to earlier in the conversation, we're talking about learning how we learn and how yes. uh, because of my struggle with the learning disability that I specifically had early on, I had to address that issue so that I could succeed right. at whatever level I could reach for me, the lesson that I would hope that others would get from that is that you are in systems in life, whether it's business, whether it's school, whether it's uh, the community you're, you're around. And there are certain social norms because of the way we do things. We do it this way, so it's going to be done that way. And if you don't learn that way, it sets you up for failure. Yes. What you really have definitely. to do is say, I'm going to be an advocate for myself. And because I was so young, I couldn't be an advocate for myself. My doctor, the psychologist, my parents had to be my advocate. And I think so many times people give up because they either aren't in a place to advocate for themselves or they don't know how to do it. And if you're not able to comprehend something because of the way it's being taught, that's not on you. Yes. That's on the system that's conditioning you towards you've got to sit in the classroom and do this. There are right. other solutions. There's uh, homeschooling that has so many different philosophies. There's unlearning, which is like self-guided learning through the process of, of what you're passionate about. There's uh, situations where you can get in and be enrolled with a college and learn through an engineering program where they're actually doing hands-on. There are different ways to augment the school system or right. your business system so that you can achieve your fullness but you have to be an advocate for yourself to get to a place because the system's not typically going to do it for you. I was very fortunate to have advocates for me who could fight for me when I didn't know how to do that. I mean, I was what, six, uh, you know? And so wow, yes, uh, you gotta be your own advocate. And if you can't do that, you gotta get about around people who can advocate for you and you've gotta make the system work for you so that you can fulfill the dreams, the ideas, the, the destiny inside of yourself. Right. Your potential. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so fast forward as an adult, what are some of the challenges, you know, say maybe in your 20s, 30s, um, <laughs> what, were, what were some of the challenges? Because life is a journey and we all have challenges, but um, how do we overcome those challenges? That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I have crazy stories. Uh, I remember working at a church. And I loved working at a church. I worked there for eight years. And we worked with the worst of the worst, addicts that were spending their money on drugs instead of on their kids. 
uh, right. you know, working with youth that had no parents. I was a youth pastor and, and having youth in my youth group that it was like, hey, I'm going home to so-and-so's house or so-and-so's house because their parents weren't there. Just crazy, crazy stories. Recession hit and a lot of the funding came from construction. That's how they got their money to fund the church to have these programs that served really broken community in Northern California. Yeah. They came to us and said, we love all of you. I was one of the executive pastors. I was uh, over youth and over music ministry and over conferences and some other things. We just don't know how we're going to be able to pay you. We love you all. Right. So the three executive pastors, we got together and said, we're just going to volunteer. We're just going to keep doing this. But for me, I had obligations like a car payment and things yes, like that. That's right. So I had a friend to say, come work for me. And I wish I could say, hey, I it was real easy. He didn't really have a job for me. And uh, he was closing down the business basically over the, the next year. And so I was coming to help close that out. They were shifting some things they did more into web and myself and another guy ended up buying out the company. What most people don't realize is that, yeah, that led to a lot of really good success. We did web development for Fortune 100 companies. We've made wow. a lot of money, but there were there was about a year where I was sleeping on the floor on top of uh, above a, a, uh, an organization, a nonprofit who does, uh, they do ministry. Uh, it's kind of like a church, but it wasn't exactly a church. Uh, it's a faith-based ministry reaching out to the community. And uh, I volunteered there and they said, Hey, pay us $150. We'll give you a room. And I, did, I slept in a sleeping bag on the floor while I did wow. that first year of getting the business up and going. So then how do you stay positive? How do you focus on your goals and you're having a big life when you're sleeping on the floor? Yeah, there's a couple things. One, you have to be around the right people. It comes back to so much. Uh, I think there's three key areas. Identity, understanding who you are and your situations don't impact your identity. Your identity defines how you overcome your situations. Right. And I think a lot of people, they forget who they are when things are horrible and in that their world falls apart. And that was an easier situation because I didn't have any kids at that time uh, and I wasn't married. So it wasn't like, <laughs> and, you know, I'm in my late 20s, so it wasn't a big deal, uh, you know. And so just doing the time, putting in the work, building out customers, getting local customers, building out their websites, getting more customers and just building that and continuing to build that. And uh, it was a very fun season, but I stayed positive because one, I remembered uh, where I was going and that where I am today wasn't going to be the end of the story. Two, I got, I was around a lot of really cool people who uh, were able to help give me perspective when I couldn't see the perspective for myself. Right. And you got to be around the right people. Right. And then the third thing is, is that I had a vision and a dream that, that allowed me to know where I was going and that where I was wasn't the end of that story. So identity is the first part. That vision is the sustaining part. And the people around you are really helping sustain that. And I wish I could say that that was the, the last time I struggled. And, you know, we built an agency where we had 12 full-time people working for us, building out websites. There were weeks where we were invoicing forty or $60,000 in client work. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so we made a lot of money. And I wish I could say I made a lot of money. We had a big payroll and other things. And we did fine. I mean, uh, we had a lot of the things that people would want, like season passes to Disney and all wow. of that. So we were doing well, but we could have done better um, if I, you know, made other decisions. And, and then over the course of time, you know, you get comfortable, you get 
uh, stagnant and then you see a dip in the business and then you have to reevaluate and regrow. And, and we went through a really hard situation where we lost a really big client. Uh, and, and that wasn't a big deal. Um, we still had other client work and other things coming in, but then we had a client that didn't pay us in the neighborhood of 65, $70,000. Um, wow, that is that's amazing. So, what do you do um, when you have somebody don't pay you? That, that's, a, that's a huge amount of money. And so, yeah. what do you do? How does that attack um, your self esteem? Um, you know, the business. Like, how does yeah. it work? Well, I think the first thing that I learned from that is that I didn't know the full story. And sometimes we look at a person, we judge them. Why isn't this company paying us? They owe us this money. They they don't dispute that they owe us the money. Why aren't they paying us? How bad are they? They're horrible people, you know, whatever. Right. And we start judging them and we start judging them through our situation. And I remember I just felt so strongly. I'm a person of faith and I just felt like in, in my prayer time that God was saying, forgive the debt. Yeah. So I went to them and I said, we're just going to forgive the debt. We're going to finish this project and we're going to keep our relationship with you and keep working with you. Come to find out about a year later that the CEO, the main partner of the company had committed suicide. The reason that they didn't pay us was because when that happens, because of how they're structured, all their assets were frozen. They didn't have liquidity in what they were doing and that they were just their entire team and everything was trying to survive off of several months off of what they had in the reserves on hand. It's a big company. They were sixth or seventh largest landowner in agriculture in California. And so their situation impacted a horrible situation for us. We downsized our team significantly. Right. I went back to coding, which I hadn't done for a while because I was doing client relations and out with, with people and uh, just doing you know the customer relations side of thing and, and running teams. We reevaluated. We got small again. We got nimble. Uh, and we've just continued to work hard. I, I wish we could say, that's, that was about three years ago. I wish we could say we're 100% over it. We're, we're getting there. We're really close to like being like, we're on the other side of this. But it's, it's been a struggle for three years. It's been hard and, and there have been really good times. And you've got to keep perspective on what really matters. You got to keep that vision. You got to keep yeah. that vision, you know, like in front of you. They're saying, this is where we're going to be. We're not there yet. But yeah. we're heading that direction. But I am impressed that actually you for, you forgave the debt. That's a lot of money, you know, yeah. and, and God put it on your heart to, you know, spoke to you. Now, how did you know, um, you know, really how to forgive the debt? Like, and, and when, when God said that to your heart, initially, your first reaction was what? When he said, forgive the debt. Actually, I think peace. Because at ah. that situation, I was in a place of despair. How am I going to make payroll? How am I going to pay these taxes for right. payroll? How am I going to pay the rent on this big building that we had just set up? Yes. Uh, all of this kind of stuff. And I was so worried about everything that I was obliged to take care of, my obligations. I was so worried about what my team was going to think when I sat them down and told some of them, we're just going to have to let you go. Not because we don't want you here, but because we can't survive if you're here. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with this situation. Uh, and, and when we got to the point when my wife and I were talking and, and said, let's forgive this debt, uh, and just praying and feeling like that's what God was leading to us to do, it, it brought us to a place of peace. And it was like those worries, those kind of things like, 
Like, I get it. We owed money to other people. Right. They owed money to us. And it was easy to hate them because of the situation they put us in. But what's even better is being at a place to say, and it's something we've said since we started the business, that if I can't love my client, then I shouldn't work for them. Bingo. I love that. <laughs> if I can't love my clients, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, that's, I mean, that is awesome. And I mean, it shows compassion, empathy. Like if you can't love your clients, then, Oh, say that again, Michael. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you don't love your clients, you shouldn't be working with them. That's right. I just had a, a guy uh, reach out to us to hire me for a new project for him. And uh, I was making so many different concessions. I can use a, a good word, their consensus. I was trying to make the project work. Right. And I could get, I was getting to a place where I was like, oh, we should really be charging this. I'm trying to make it work for him. And I was just like, this isn't going to work. So I'm going to be bitter at this person. And it's better for me to come back and say, here are the terms. This is what I need to make this project work. Not because, uh, because I'm not trying to help you, but because it's what's fair to both you and me. Right. And if I get this for the project, then I can walk in and not have a heart of bitterness towards this. Now, if you're not cool with paying that amount, that's fine too. I'd rather stay friends and be able to serve you and say, right. you know what? I want what's best for you. My pastor who did our marriage counseling before we got married, premarital counseling, he said, if you have people who are saying, I love you more than I love myself, if I'm putting your needs in front of my needs, and if the other person's doing the same thing, everyone wins. It's a win-win. Yeah. And I think so often we try to make a win-win about manipulating the other person to get what we want. And sometimes doing the right thing really hurts yourself. But in the end, it actually frees you through that situation. And, and forgiving that debt's a great example of, of it freed me not to be bitter towards them. And I could love them again because I wasn't viewing them through what they owed me. I was viewing it from what can I do to serve them? Right. And it was that change of perspective uh, that allowed me to get the project to the other side for them. Wow. And that's a great way to think, you know, you yeah. do have to do it for your clients. You, you help others. Yeah. And, in, and it's funny because when you help others, all of a sudden, you know, you help yourself. Because as yeah. you said, you were, you were at peace. Yeah. And I love that. And there's still clients. All the better. <laughs> yeah. And it's been, it's been four or five years since that happened. That There's so, still clients. That's so nice because I can imagine if you just got upset with them and said, I don't want to work with you anymore. You, you would have lost, right? It would have been, been a loss for them and a loss for you. Yeah. And again, I, it took me another year, a year and a half till I knew the full story of what had happened. Right. I was judging them through a skewed view through my bitterness, through my frustration, through my anger. And once I knew the situation and once I had forgiven them, I could view them in compassion and hope right. and exactly. love and, and wanting to do the right thing. I, I recently had a guest on our show and he talks about generosity and I asked this question. I actually thought his answer was horrible uh, and I won't knock who it is or anything like that. But, you know, there's the scripture that says faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Uh, and there's another translation that says faith, hope, and charity and the greatest one being charity. And there is 
such a big difference between being charitable and being loving. Charity is saying, I'm doing this out of pity. I'm doing this out of wanting to put goodness back on me. Love is saying, I'm laying myself down to serve you. I am willing to carry your burden through this. And it's a different perspective and it changes how you view uh, gratitude and thankfulness and and through hardship. Uh, If you can get to this place of love, hardship becomes much easier because your heart is conditioned both to give and to receive. Right. Uh, and you know, I, I think of people now and I say, they really owe me nothing. We went through a situation where a whole bunch of people came to help us with something we're working through. Uh, and they didn't have to do that. They didn't owe us a thing and yet they did it. And it helped us through a season that was really rough financially and through some other things that were going on. I think many of us in our culture in America, we feel like people owe us stuff. Yes. And the problem is, is that, that if you expect people to owe you something, when they don't deliver, you hate them. That's right. You get really upset. You yeah. Know, because I mean, in our culture, we need more love. Yeah. Because when you give, it's generosity and you give with your heart and expecting nothing. And eventually it will come back to you. Yeah. Okay. You know, not expecting it because it comes back in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So true. You know, so yeah. So you get, you know, it's like, oh, all of a sudden this person did something wonderful for me. You're not knowing that you did something maybe great for their grandmother or their auntie or their uncle or you never know. When you give, give love, it always comes back your direction mm-hmm. one way or the other. So, yeah. so Michael, what's your passion? What are you passionate about? I, you know, I have this podcast and I love doing my podcast. It's all about ideas and innovation and about story. I love doing it. But the reason I love doing it is because I, when I talk to people, whether they are faith people, whether they're people that are atheists, a common thread is that they all say something similar when we're talking about the dreams and ideas they have. When they're in this place of flow, when they're like, operating at their fullness. They say something to the effect of like, I feel like I'm doing what I'm created to do, which when you have a person of faith, you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. When you have an atheist say it, you go, there's something more here, you know? And so for me, I feel like all of us have a desire to feel like we're making a difference, that we're significant, that we matter. My passion is helping people figure out who they are what they're created to do and helping them figure out a way to get there. We do that through the podcast and telling the story of other people. We just had LeVar Burton on uh, from Reading Rainbow. and I I know who that is. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Reading Rainbow. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. We just had him on. And to be honest, there's nothing on the surface special about him other than the fact that he took a risk to step into what he was created to do. And when he did that, that's when something magical happened. That's when he was able to open up doors for children through Reading Rainbow, to spark imagination in adults through his podcast. Now, through Star Trek and crafting a, a character that, that impacted the lives of millions of people. I mean, there's a reason Star Trek is one of the most beloved storylines in, oh, yes. in America. And, and oh, time and time again, the common thread between these people I talk to is very simple. They made a choice to step past the fear, past the uh, objections, past the obstacles, and into the things that could be. 
And when you step from that place of accepting the status quo and, and stepping into an unknown future of what could be, all of a sudden, crazy cool things start happening for most people. And it's a hard journey. There are a lot of sacrifices that have to be made in that journey. So when you ask, what what do I love to do? What do I love? What am I passionate about? I love sitting down with people and helping them really take a look and say, are you doing what you're created to do? Now that could be a teacher. That could be an engineer for for Boeing. That could be an employee. And and a lot of people say, oh, if you're doing that, you're going to be out on your own. That's not true. It's finding that sweet spot where you step into life every day. And on the the hard days, you still feel like I'm doing what I love to do. And I'm so privileged to do what I get to do. And on the great days, you're in this place of flow where everything's just firing and you just feel like you're operating 100%. For people, that journey changes. And for what's right in one season, it's going to be wrong in the next. And and so it's not a, a you arrive kind of story. It's a story of evolution of yourself and of the dreams and ideas and purposes you have. And sometimes it's thinking you have a dream only to find out that the pursuit of that dream led you to something better, led you to a place that you could not have seen when you started. And so that's what I love to do. I love to sit down with people and say, let's figure this out. You know, a, a guy I talked to one time said this, he said, when you aren't living in a place of walking in what you're created to do. You're not only stealing from yourself, but you're stealing from everyone around you. Oh, that is such <laughs> great wisdom. Oh my <laughs> heavens. I, ladies and gentlemen, did you hear that? <laughs> you're stealing from yourself. You know, God created us to be who we are, to come yeah. here and to, and to know that we have power. Yeah. Power even in, in our pain. Yeah. We have power. And so when we accept it, and, we, and you said, you, we step into the fear, and then all of a sudden you step into it because it takes courage, bravery to step in because most people will hide behind fear. Yeah. But if you just take a chance to go, I'm going to step in. And then all of a sudden, all these opportunities, you know, come your, come your direction. And oh my, <laughs> Michael, I love what you're saying. I'm just, I feel inspired. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you feel inspired by Michael? Oh my God. I, oh, I do feel good. But so Michael, with all the knowledge and the wisdom you have now, go back and talk to yourself when you're four or five or six years old, what would you say to yourself? What wisdom would you give yourself? Don't waste time thinking you're not good enough. Don't waste time waiting for something better. Don't waste time worrying about what could happen. Just start moving forward. Start making those decisions. Start stepping into the places that you know you're created to be. And this is the one that I think I'm still struggling with today. Uh, it's the area that I think I'm most trying to work through at, at a personal level. And, and it would be, there are going to be people who dislike you because you're willing to take the uncharted path. Right. There are going to be people that you feel like you don't measure up to their expectation. That has less to do with you and everything to do with them. Don't let others beat you up. Step forward into who you're supposed to be. Don't let others talk you out of the dreams you have. Keep moving forward. Don't let yourself feel like you're an imposter. Step into the fullness of what you're created to do. Those, those would be the things I would say to myself. Oh, nice. Take the path less traveled. Wow. <laughs> I love that. So, Michael, what would you like to share with our audience today? Yeah, so we've been podcasting for three years. We have 290-something episodes now. 
And uh, I'd love for you to check it out. It's all about dreamers, makers, innovators, and influencers and hearing their stories and hopefully giving you some people some tips on how to chase their dreams and ideas and make it into reality. You can check that out at jumblethink.com. We're doing some cool things in 2020 with idea camps, which are all about what we've been talking about. It's wrestling through how do I go from not knowing where to go to actually having a roadmap for the future. So we're working on that and working on launching that uh, in in 2020. Oh, nice. Oh, Michael, it was so nice talking to you. Awesome conversation today. So to learn more about Michael, go to esmelawrence.com. This is Michael Woodward, and I'm spreading to success with Esme Lawrence. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. That was wonderful. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success with your host, Esme Lawrence. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes. For more information about Esme and to hear other episodes of the show, go to esmelawrence.com. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional or medical treatment or advice. Always seek advice from your healthcare provider.